Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just what happened to this hymn is often what happens to this text that is before you today. This hymn by Paul Gerhardt is, if I'm not mistaken, traditionally 14 stanzas long. And it's a hymn about justification, not about sanctification, although sanctification is obviously a part of it. But justification, that is being declared righteous for the sake of Christ, is what Paul Gerhardt most often writes hymns about. Now our text today has often been turned into the same likeness as this hymn. Stripped down, turned away from justification, and solely focused on sanctification, which is your holiness, how you live the Christian life. But ultimately, this text teaches us about Jesus, our good Samaritan. Not just an example to follow, but the very reason that there is even any hope of our life changing from wicked evil to good and righteousness and holiness as we live according to the will of God. When God created the world in his likeness, he looked at all the things that he had made. He considered the man whose heart was akin to his own image, a will to live in righteousness and a will to desire the reign of God. And he said, all these things are very good. But Adam brought to himself his wife, his future family, and all mankind Exile. Exile from paradise. He brought that to everyone. He left that blessed Garden of Eden and an untroubled life when his will changed to serve himself and not God. He became somebody different. Not the same caring, willing, and untroubled man that God had placed in the garden to work. He had fallen. He had descended into the wretchedness of sin. He abdicated the throne which God had given him to serve his wife, to care for her and to teach her the truth, and to be her defender, to defend her honor, the blessedness, which God had given her in purity. But he abdicated that throne of teaching to his wife, who had been deceived by the serpent, the devil. But he himself, full knowing, turned away from God, left God's protection, and he fell among the robbers. But did you ever ask yourself why the devil did not frighten Eve? She wasn't concerned with him. He wasn't that fire-breathing dragon or the devil with pitchforks all of us have come to know. He wasn't the scary beast of nightmares. But God tells us why. You see, not always does the devil appear to us as this dark figure from nightmares. The Lord says sometimes these angels of darkness and evil appear to us as angels of light. They dress themselves 
to fool us, to deceive us. And was it not like this when the devil appeared as like a serpent whom Eve had not even been afraid to speak to? Satan had but one desire in that garden, and that was to take from man all his righteousness, all goodness, the very image of God, to tarnish it and to take it from him. But he did not have the power within himself. He had to turn man against God. Satan wanted Adam to know what it was like to be in despair, to be afraid, to suffer pain, to feel anger and hatred, even to blame God and his wife for all his troubles, to not accept responsibility. And he wanted Adam to suffer death. But he did not reveal his plan or tell of its pain. Instead, he lured them through the deception of false teaching. And Eve, who had brought her husband with her, sat there being deceived while her husband said nothing. And he was silent and she ate. And he, watching her so do, ate of the poison of the devil's words himself even as he took a bite of the forbidden fruit. We all have been stripped, beaten, and left dying in the consequence of Adam's fall. And we ourselves had contributed to this through all of our sins. Every one of us has suffered misery at the hands of the devil and have felt the pain of weakness, the pains of death. We have suffered the misery of the devil and the consequence of sin. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Had not the good Samaritan descended from on high to bind up all our deadly wounds, all mankind would be slain in Adam. We had one path, and our path led to death. Now, God did not desire the death of mankind, certainly not. Man was the pinnacle of his creation, the chosen object of his steadfast love to be for all eternity. And so what did God do? He sent the good Samaritan. No ordinary Samaritan, since it was that the Samaritans were enemies of the Jews. No, the Samaritan that is sent to us, as Jesus tells, has to do more with what Samaritan means. Samaria is denoting a place, specifically Shamar's place, a place of watching. It was standing on a hill. It comes from the Hebrew word Shamar, and Shamar means to to guard or to keep. So do you see what God has done? To the one who fell among the robbers, God does not send an enemy, for he himself is not the enemy of man, but man sees him as such. But to the one who fell among the robbers, God has sent a defender, a guard, a watchman to keep him safe. Is this not also what we read over and over and over again in the Psalms? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God, the defender, has come to you. Now the priest and the Levite came before the Samaritan. You heard such from St. Paul. And they passed by the man seeing him, knowing his need. But to what did they offer the man? What aid did they give to him? I can say this much. Even without touching the man, they wounded him deeper than any physical blow could have ever done. For when they passed by, though he could not move, he may have thought in seeing their feet, just the glimpse of the dirt being kicked up. Seeing their bodies, he may have thought, help has arrived. But they never stopped. Then as he heard them leave, He saw their feet move farther from him. His heart sank deeper and deeper into despair. As the priest passed by, he felt death even stronger than he had before. And when the Levite passed by again, deeper and deeper into the heart of despair, he fell. So as to think there is no hope for who has one chance and a second, certainly not a third. This was the end of man. Having fallen among the robbers, having been beaten to death, it was only for him to draw his final breaths. Hopelessness eats away at the heart of man. It goes so deep as to consume his very spirit. And this is what it looks like to live by the law. However tiny your hope may be in fulfilling the law perfectly and so gaining the love of God by your righteousness and your own righteous works, we know that the law no peace can ever give. The law looks at you, intently at you even, studies your condition and measures you up. And the holiness of the law constantly accuses, even as it teaches what is right and true and good, It says, as Jesus said, do this and you will live. But the more we stare into the heart of law, with as much love as we can have for it, the deeper our realization is that we have missed the mark. We have not done enough and shall never do enough. And as we stare deeper and deeper into it, we see that we cannot obtain our eternal life from it. To thank God our Creator gave us more than the law. He gave to us the Defender. He gives Himself. He Himself comes to our aid. The one whom we had embittered ourselves against and become so hostile to because of our love for sin, our love for our own will, That one, God himself, comes to our aid. He descends from heaven. And who is that but the one who had ascended into heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven, as John 3 tells us. God's Son, Lord our Savior Jesus Christ, 
seeing man lying in death and pierced to the soul because of his own transgressions, who knows that the law, the priest and the Levite, as they represent, could bring no healing, nor any man-made device or medicine. He comes. Christ, our Savior, comes near. He does not just come close, but he comes so close to us so that he unites himself with us, with our very nature, in order to share in our sufferings and to take into himself our sin and our death, to die in our place. He comes so near to us that he sees the very death upon our hearts and our minds He sees the paleness in our face and the fear of God's wrath. And with a word, he binds up our wounds. He pours on oil and wine. Now all who are under the power of the devil see God still as an enemy. But to those whom he gives his spirit, he reveals himself as the great physician His face changes before us, not as the wrathful God who wishes our condemnation, but as the God who comes with healing in his wings. His words become the eternal medicine for our souls, and with a word he binds up every open wound that we have suffered, and with another word we receive the oil of forgiveness that soothes us and soothes our conscience. And then he continues And he urges us forward with the word and the wine that bring us that resurrected body and blood and join us with himself. He picks you up. He raises you up from the ashes, from the depths of Sheol. He exalts you and places you upon himself. He bears your sins and your death. He carries you. You who were lost and dying, he carries you to the place where you find rest for your weary souls. But you must see this as the truth. Believe it, that he has taken you upon himself. He has bared your body and all your burdens and all your weaknesses of the flesh. He has carried it himself to the very cross of Calvary. And he imparts to you his righteousness, his forgiveness and the strength of his might that you might be healed again. But notice that he does not lead you back to your hometown, but he brings you to the inn. He brings you to a place where travelers come to find rest. He brings you to his holy church, where there is rest for those who have to sojourn through this life. When you were found on the side of the road, God began his good work in you making you his own responsibility. He baptized you and took upon himself whatever burdens you would bring. But he is not finished with you. You have been given a great gift, carried to a wonderful place, but God is not finished with you. Your healing has not yet seen what it will be on the day of the resurrection. Though you are now his own, he wishes to see your care continue 
until the day that he has promised to return for you. He wants you to be here when he returns. He wants to find faith on this earth. He doesn't wish for you to leave the care of the servants he has placed over you, before you, because they come to continually bind up your wounds every time they are torn back open. And those deep scars, which seem to be never healing, he wishes for you to be reminded and granted that forgiveness which first brought you back to life. Now the Samaritan did not stay long upon the earth after his resurrection, but know that all was paid for. And when he promises his return, he promises to bring himself to you once again, so that he may lead you back home. He does not ask for you to bring yourself to him, which is very different from how many churches teach. But rather, he promises to return again for you. You were brought and paid for by his blood, not with gold or silver or any other treasure of man, but with the immeasurable and priceless gift of his innocent suffering and death. And by the blood and the water that were outpoured upon you, you have been given life, a new life. The image which was lost by the fall into sin has been restored to you in Christ. And by his resurrection, by the glory of the Father, you are assured that you are justified, freely forgiven, and that your sins are no more. And upon his return, he will receive us as his faithful servants, the ones who have his blessed and holy name given to them. The ones who have been bought and paid for, he will say to us, Come and enter into the joy of the Lord. To know how we must see, meet, greet, and care for our neighbors in this life, we must first treasure and deeply contemplate, meditate upon what God has done for us and how Christ has saved us. In order to understand and show compassion and kindness to the needs of others whom God has placed in our life, we must first see Christ our Savior as the blessed and good Samaritan. And then, having been overflowing with the love of Jesus, we go out and greet whoever that may be, those first within the household of the Lord, the household of faith, and then those in our life. We show them the mercy and kindness of Christ, that is the mercy that we ourselves live by. And it is the mercy that we pray prevails in our life as we live to the love of him who saved us. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.